Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's been a politically perilous week for the Prime Minister. The message from the public is clear. Remove this unfit Prime Minister from office and do it now. Will the Prime Minister, for the good of the country, accept that the party is over and decide to resign? We have seen standards in public life trashed. So for once, can the Prime Minister do the honourable thing and resign? Boris Johnson, in his defence, has been repeating a now familiar refrain. All that, as you know, is the subject of a uh, a proper uh, investigation by Sue Gray. But the evidence against him keeps mounting. Labour have renewed their call for Boris Johnson to resign after his former adviser Dominic Cummings accused the Prime Minister of lying to Parliament about a lockdown party in Downing Street. I'm deeply sorry for misjudgments that were, that were, that were made. I carry full responsibility for, for what took place. But nobody told me, I can absolutely, I'm absolutely categorical about this, nobody said to me, this is an event that is against the rules, I should not go ahead. What will Sue Gray's report tell us? And has the country already made up its mind? The Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, he just went down to a party in lockdown, in lockdown. Facing a backlash from voters, the Red Wall MPs who gave Boris his big majority are now turning against him in what's being called the pork pie putsch, after the MP from Melton Mowbray became one of its ringleaders. Normally when uh, things are quite febrile around here, politicians like MPs to go back to their constituencies to take the heat out of some of the battles here. But going back to their constituencies this weekend, they've just come back in a worse mood. The mood is awful and they really don't know if or whether Boris Johnson should survive. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, is the party over for the Prime Minister? I'm Charlotte Ivers. I am Times Radio's political correspondent and I also write a column for The Sunday Times. Charlotte, in the last few days, we've seen what looks like a rescue operation being mounted. There's been a flurry of, of policies being announced. There's the military taking over the borders. At one point, the culture secretary seemed to be announcing huge policy changes just by tweet to try to move the agenda on and stop people talking about parties. 
This is a week the Prime Minister must wish he could forget. There are reports that he is trying to save himself, perhaps by having other people quit instead. You wouldn't believe the name that apparently they are informally giving it Operation Save Big Dog. Operation Save Big Dog has been partnered with Operation Red Meat, a plan to distract the public with populist look-over-there policies. So they're not even pretending anymore. What can we come up with that is largely meaningless but very provocative? Is it working? Well, you're seeing Conservative ministers try and give something to the Conservative rights that will cheer them up a bit, that will make them feel like there's something in it for them to back Boris Johnson. And so far, to be honest, it hasn't been hugely effective. It's in its very early stages. But what you will probably start to see is more and more MPs frustrated with the Prime Minister and willing to say that publicly. Yeah, it does seem like sort of a a, a sudden last gasp. Just the names, Operation Red Meat, it sort of sounds like a student rugby club. There are two very different operations, which are, I suppose, interlinked. There's Operation Red Meat, that is for the benefit of Tory MPs primarily. And then there's Operation Save Big Dog, Big Dog, of course, being Boris Johnson. Operation Save Big Dog is all about finding someone else to take the blame. My sense, again, is that this is really unlikely to work, to be honest. Conservative MPs, I get the sense that they want to see Boris Johnson take culpability, take some blame, and he could be on really dangerous territory with them if he refuses to do so. Just talk us through what's now become quite a long list of allegations. What is the charge sheet? Well, there are numerous allegations against the Prime Minister and against Downing Street as a whole. Firstly, you have the allegation of a party taking place in Downing Street in 2021, in December. This was a Christmas party. You then have the photograph that emerged of people, including the Prime Minister, including his partner, having a glass of wine and what appears to be a cheese board in the Downing Street garden towards the end of the first lockdown. Then on top of that, five days after that, you have another party and this is the big one. Some breaking news uh, regarding a party that uh, allegedly took place in the Downing Street Garden in May of last year. Let's just take a look at that email which was leaked to ITV News. Martin Reynolds, the Prime Minister's Principal Private Secretary, he wrote, After what has been an incredibly busy period, we thought it would be nice to make the most of the lovely weather and have some socially distanced drinks in the Number 10 Garden this evening. That is the one that the Prime Minister himself attended and the one he had to apologise for in Prime Minister's questions. Mr Speaker, I want to apologise. I have learned enough to know that there were things we simply did not get right. And I must take responsibility. Number 10 is a big department with the garden as an extension of the office which has been in constant use because of the role of fresh air in stopping the virus. And when I went into that garden just after six on the 20th of May 2020 to thank groups of staff before going back into my office 25 minutes later to continue working, I believed implicitly that this was a work event. I mean, it does sound from the accounts like quite an obvious party. 
Well, as we understand it, it did look pretty party-like. You had trestle tables set up. Staffers had put wine, had put snacks on those trestle tables. Other points that are rather interesting to consider are the fact that the Prime Minister showed up at all. What did he think was going on when he was asked to go and show up to give this speech? Then you have the presence of his partner. Do people usually bring their partners to a work meeting? ITV are also reporting that she had two of her friends there as well who were not at the time employees of 10 Downing Street. What were they doing if it was a work meeting? All of that is pretty damning. And then if you were to find any way of making it worse, the next set of revelations that came out about drinking the night before Prince Philip's funeral couldn't have been designed to more perfectly annoy your core vote. You're actually echoing there something a Conservative MP said to me last week. He said to me that if you had designed from scratch a party to get Tory MPs to detract from Boris Johnson, you would not yeah. have done it this successfully. These were two parties on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral. And the first thing to say is the Prime Minister was not there. He was at Chequers, the Prime Minister's official country residence, and had been for some time. But what we know did happen is there were two parties that took place on that night, one for a senior departing member of the press office and one for one of the Prime Minister's official photographers. Both of these involved significant amounts of alcohol being consumed. There was at one point a DJ session by a very senior aide of the Prime Minister in the basement of Downing Street. And as if all of those details weren't good enough, aides were dispatched to pick up bottles of wine with a suitcase from a nearby supermarket. And also, over the course of the night, Wilf Johnson, of course, the Prime Minister's toddler son, has a lovely swing set in the Downing Street Garden that he plays on. And apparently, several civil servants had a go on it and one of them broke it. I mean, it's the details, really, isn't it, that are just eye-popping. And you can't help but wonder, how did the Prime Minister account for a broken swing? when he returned. You know, there, there must have been questions being asked. How have these stories gone down with the public? We've heard from numerous members of the public over the last few days and weeks about what it was that they were doing while these parties were going on in Downing Street. And you've heard from people whose parents died on those days. One woman, her father's death certificate was signed on the day of one of the Downing Street parties. Me and my sister were allowed in for his final moments. We could only touch him through PPE and he was completely unconscious, so he had no idea that we were there when we let them turn his ventilator down and watched him die. So why families like mine, grieving families, were bereaved, were alone, away from their loved ones and their friends, having lost a guy like Dad. Boris Johnson spent 25 minutes at a garden party where 100 people had been invited to bring their own booze and enjoy the weather. On the Saturday after watching the funeral of Prince Philip, I get a call. My daughter's collapsed, and as you will know, for months she'd, you know, she'd been isolated. She was ill. By the following morning, she had died, and she had stuck to the spirit and let of the rules. You don't send an email to 100 people and think that it won't come out in government. Frankly, you wouldn't do that with six people and think mm. it wouldn't come out. So they must have thought that what they were doing was OK. And that is the thing that is perplexing a lot of people because it's very hard to identify with. You know, the police would be patrolling the parks back then 
to make sure you weren't loitering or you weren't standing still for too long? Well, here is the case for the defence, because a lot of conversations I've been involved in in the last week in Westminster have been about exactly this. What on earth were they thinking? How were they in such a different psychological space? And it really seems to be the case that actually most people in Downing Street, their lives did not change hugely. They were still going into work. They never stopped going into work from the most junior press officer to the most senior advisors. So they're still going in, seeing everyone every day. Their social lives as well are heavily based around the people who they work with. So they're still seeing a lot of their friends. They're still seeing a lot of the people they'd naturally go to the pub with. They're inside. There have been lots of outbreaks within Downing Street. A lot of them have already had the coronavirus. What difference would it make to pop out and have one drink at the end of the day in the garden? I don't think people will have much truck with this excuse, to be honest. I think even the people within Downing Street who are making it to me weren't really defending what happened. They were more trying to explain how on earth something so odd happened. I mean, Charlotte, tell me about that, because you're talking to MPs all the time. What are you hearing? Are they convinced? Do they think this is something they can fight or are they giving up? They're giving up. They are not convinced in the slightest Some are holding out. Some want to see Sue Gray's report. They are hoping that they will be able to find something in that report that they can take back to their constituents and make a persuasive case that it is not Boris Johnson's fault and it is not the Conservative Party's fault. When people tell me that, I tend to say, well, what would it be? And at the start, they would say, well, something that says it was senior civil servants, not Boris Johnson. Something along those lines would be great. Well, actually, increasingly now, As a result of the way that Downing Street and the Prime Minister have handled all of this, you have MPs saying, I'm not sure that would work. I think people need Boris Johnson to take responsibility and probably to have taken responsibility a couple of weeks ago. Mm. You mentioned Sue Gray. It's the only response the Prime Minister gives now when he's asked about these allegations. Did you and Carrie attend the Downing Street party that was organised by Martin Reynolds on the 20th of May? All that, as you know, is the subject of a, uh, a proper uh, investigation by Sue Gray. So have you already been interviewed by Sue Gray? And if not, do you object to her questioning you again about this? Uh, all that is subject for an interview, for an investigation by Sue Gray. So, tell us, what do we need to know about Sue Gray? I mean, firstly, who is she? For most people outside of Whitehall, they won't have heard of her before this this crisis came up. So Sue Gray is a very senior government civil servant. She has had a long role in the civil service. Probably the reason why she has been chosen is that she was previously in the Cabinet Office as the Director General for Proprietary and Ethics. And in that role, she was seen as a fearsome enforcer of civil service standards and of HR. I mean, I've I've heard from people who've been questioned by her who sort of say it's terrifying. You know, she does reduce grown men to quivering schoolboys almost. But what exactly does she have the power to do with this investigation? I mean, what can she plausibly announce at the end of it? Well, in theory, Sue Gray has huge amount of access. She can go through people's work emails and she can ask to interview anybody she wants from the Prime Minister down. This is an inquiry as well with an ever-expanding scope. Every time it seems to be the case that we are getting close to the inquiry being published, she will get another party she has to investigate because a new one will come out in the media. So we know, for example, that the Prince Philip, either funeral parties, will now be investigated by Sue Gray. 
We do not expect her to make any allegations of illegality. That is not her role. She is not the police. Mm. I mean, is there a danger, though, that we're all waiting for the Sue Gray report? Every politician says they're waiting for the Sue Gray report. Even the police, despite the fact that she can't decide on criminality, say they're waiting for the Sue Gray report. Is there a danger that it'll be a massive anticlimax because what she's actually looking at isn't quite what we want the answer to, which is, is the prime minister guilty? I would expect the Sue Gray report is going to be an anticlimax, to be honest. The report at this stage feels unlikely to make any particularly damning allegations about Boris Johnson. What people are also saying in Westminster, which is quite interesting, is Sue Gray may be many things. She may be incorruptible. She may be a fantastic investigator. She cannot see into Boris Johnson's soul And if he says he couldn't see a party, no matter how implausible that might be, no matter if there were glasses of wine out everywhere, no matter if there are snacks on the table, his partner was there, she cannot prove that in his heart and soul he didn't think that. So maybe, just maybe, by saying that, he said the one thing that is completely unprovable and therefore will be able to get away with it. Whether that has any truck with the public or with MPs is a very different question. And just talk us through that. Talk us through the mood of the party at the moment. I mean, Boris Johnson, unlike other prime ministers before him, hasn't always had a a massive faction of support within the party before he came into office. I mean, he didn't sort of have like a natural tribe. No, he didn't really. Boris Johnson did have some friends who had been supporters of him for a long time, people who really wanted him to be prime minister. The vast, vast majority of the Conservative MPs who voted for Boris Johnson did so because he was a winner. He looked like a winner and they thought he was the only one that could do it. And sure enough, they were absolutely right. He did win. The question is, could he win again? Because if he can't, he has lost really the only thing he had to offer Conservative MPs. So if he's not going to recover in the polls, and a lot of MPs think he won't, then yes, probably it is game over. Coming up, the long view of the Tory party with someone who's seen it up close, veteran Times columnist and former Tory MP, Matthew Paris. I'm Matt Chorley. I'm a columnist for The Times and presenter on Times Radio. And we try to cover all the biggest stories, bringing you politics without the boring bits. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Times columnist Matthew Paris is a former Conservative MP who's seen a few attempts at Tory regicide. He watched as the party tried to oust Margaret Thatcher and then John Major after her, and more recently, Theresa May. How does what we're witnessing now compare? This one is quite extraordinary, firstly because the electorate, who in this case are the Parliamentary Conservative Party, appear to be far less brave, or at least far less foolhardy, than before. Um, The House of Commons or the Parliamentary Conservative Party was always itching to get rid of its leader one way or the other. (laughs) This time, when the case seems much stronger than it did, perhaps with Margaret Thatcher or John Major, there's great, great reticence. And the other is the character of the Prime Minister himself. Margaret Thatcher saw when the skids were under her and she went before she was finally pushed. Ladies and gentlemen, we're leaving Downing Street for the last time after 11 and a half wonderful years. John Major fought back really hard. The Conservative Party must make its choice. Every leader is leader only with the support of his party. That is true of me as well. That is why I'm no longer prepared to tolerate the present situation. In short, it is time to put up or shut up. He felt he always had the majority he needed and he got it. But Theresa May, equally, once she lost, she went out with dignity. But this man looks like he's absolutely going to have to be pulled out of Downing Street screaming and kicking and is going to fight to the very last, which is one of the reasons perhaps why his MPs are a little bit reluctant to to start the fight. I mean, he does have a much bigger majority than many of the other leaders who people have tried to to get rid of, I suppose. What you talk about there is really interesting because it does point out one of the problems that has become more and more apparent in the last few weeks, which is that so much of our system relies on the prime minister to follow a particular code of conduct. It all normally comes down to the prime minister, who is seen as sort of a beacon of honour and gentlemanly behaviour, I suppose. Are we equipped to deal with a situation like the current one? We're absolutely not. I don't know whether the term gentleman's agreement is any longer applicable because it could be a, a woman. I mean, Margaret Thatcher was every inch a gentleman in that sense of the word. But Boris has always proceeded and advanced on the basis of people trusting him as a gentleman and then as I see it anyway, betraying that trust. The whole British establishment, the whole British system, and the very top of the British unwritten constitution depends on codes of honour. And someone that does not abide by the code of honour can get away with an awful lot because nothing is written down. And in a situation like that, in a situation where 
you know, we're seeing from the polling at the moment, there's quite a lot of anger across the country. What happens next? What do you think will be happening inside the party at the moment? Well, they're all absolutely furious. Uh, They're all fed up with him. They all think that the Downing Street shenanigans were a total farrago. They were dreadful. And they're mostly, not all, but mostly coming under a lot of pressure from their constituents. And they just don't know what to do. Do we need a leadership election just at the moment? What if he wins the motion of confidence that could be placed against him? And in which case, according to party rules, he gets another year before anyone can try again. They're in a bit of a blind funk at the the minute. And, you know, headless chickens does come to mind as a phrase. But what you must not suppose is that there is any solid band of Boris Johnson loyalists in the Parliamentary Conservative Party. There are those who want to get rid of him now, and there are those who think that now isn't the right time yet. But there isn't really a third group. Is he sort of an anomaly in the way that he's come up? He doesn't have a tribe of his own. It's not entirely uh, unprecedented that uh, somebody comes to lead the Conservative Party without a tribe of their own. Actually, his immediate predecessor, Theresa May, there was no tribe of Mayites. You've never heard the word Mayite, at least I, I certainly haven't. No. It's totally a lone wolf. And Margaret Thatcher didn't really have a very big tribe before she became leader. John Major, likewise, there wasn't really a tribe of Majorites. MPs can form their own tribes after they've made it to be prime minister, but you don't always have one um, before you start. The problem is that Boris Johnson has not grown to be more liked or more followed since he became leader of the party and prime minister, but less so. The more they know him, the less they like him. How do you know that the tide has turned in the party, that they're out to get you? I mean, you've been there, you've been on the benches before when there's clearly a lot of discontent. At what point do you know a prime minister's in real trouble? I don't think the prime minister themselves ever really knows and they will tend to kid themselves that it's better than it looks. Boris Johnson himself just doesn't seem to know and won't know, and he's preceded his whole life, his whole career. All his many successes have been based on him not realising that the odds were stacked against him and winning through. As for backbenchers, in the old days, the bars, the smoking room, the canteen, the terrace, because you were very often there until late at night with nothing to do but go in to vote for the occasional division. Mm. There was much more of a collegiate sense of people chatting to each other, knowing each other, confiding in each other. There were groups, there were gangs, and a very strong sense of what the word was on the street, so to speak, the street being the parliamentary party. It isn't like that anymore. I mean, we've just come through a long period of COVID where it wasn't like that at all, but they don't normally sit late at night. The bars are less frequented. And I I have a strong sense from conservative backbenchers whom I know that they don't actually know very much what their colleagues think and that they're not always talking to each other. It feels like it's all on WhatsApp now, which is so public that you don't want to stick your neck out in case it gets leaked. WhatsApp is the closest thing they have, really, to a a, a coffee bar, as it were. (laughs) And so do you think they're waiting to get a sense of where the rest of the party is too? I think they're all wondering what everyone else is thinking. I think they probably know that there's a huge dissatisfaction right across the party with the Prime Minister. I I think that can't have escaped any of them. And Matthew, in a recent column, you wrote that 
you know the confiding wink that for a moment makes you feel like you're the only person in the room. I mean, describe what Boris Johnson on a charm offensive feels like. Well, it's like that. He's terribly aware of the room and who's in the room. And I was at a lunch with him, I remember, at the Spectator. I think almost everybody there will have found that he caught our eye at some point and didn't quite wink, but you get that confiding glance and you feel that you're a little bit special. And what he's saying to you is, look, you and I know this is a bit of a silly game, but, you know, here we are and we've got to get through this. Because that is how everyone is feeling at a dinner. They feel flattered by Boris's confidence in that way. And he'll come into a room and and, and make a beeline for you or for someone else and say, oh, you're here. Well, I I need to watch my step. And, And you do feel flattered by it. He's really good at it. And do you think for somebody famed for his charm, do you think that might save him now? I think the charm just isn't going to work any longer. It's a very interesting word in the the English language charm because it's not entirely positive. There is a, a slightly pejorative sense to it, a sense that someone is a little bit of a confidence trickster or, or good at making you feel that they're with you. A charm offensive is not something we necessarily want to feel proud to be said to be on. Charm is a very ambiguous word, and Boris has it in bucket loads. (laughs) Do you think he'll be able to charm the public again? I don't think he's going to win the public over again. I really think they've seen through him this time. But uh, I have been writing that for The Times for about a decade. (laughs) I did say that the uh, party would never make him their leader, and that if he did, the country would never elect him prime minister. And I felt very sure of that, and I was wrong. So. I'm a little careful now with the predictions that I make. I'm obviously no prophet. Matthew, as you said, it's incredibly hard to predict anything with Boris Johnson. It's as if sort of a lot of the normal rules, the normal arithmetic around the fallout of a scandal just doesn't apply because he's, you know, he's survived so many. Is there any world in which you think Boris Johnson would voluntarily resign, step down, do the right thing by the party? and go as a matter of honour. We've all been saying that he wouldn't do that and it's not in his nature and he'll fight to the very last. But I I do just think of him as the classicist that he is, um, thinking of the Romans and the Greeks, thinking of legend, thinking of your name, of how you're remembered. And if it ever became clear to him that he was doomed, I think he would go voluntarily. He would walk voluntarily in a a way that had some dignity about it. I think he would prefer that to actually being dragged, kicking and screaming from Downing Street. The problem is that he is such an optimist by nature that he's never going to be convinced that he is doomed until Nemesis comes. But I can just see him thinking, look, I've said that uh, I didn't think this was a party. I've said that I thought it was a work meeting. I've said that I've made a mistake in the impression that gave. I've said that I'm sorry, but the world doesn't seem to agree with me. Everybody's picking on me and I'm going to walk now with my head held high. I could just, just imagine that happening. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast 
brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Times columnist, Matthew Paris, and Times radio political correspondent, Charlotte Ivers. You can read more of Matthew's work at thetimes.co.uk, and you can hear more of Charlotte on Times Radio or read her column in The Sunday Times. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Today's producers were Taryn Siegel and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>